Hey, just as uh, you finished giving this morning, well done. Uh, before we launch into our conversation this morning around the story of Jonah, a little bit of uh, news. Um, we have a couple of great, great people, a couple of our team members, Scotty Wheeler and Evie Thompson. If you haven't yet heard the news, they got engaged this weekend. So, yay! Very, very cool. So lots of weddings actually uh, coming up. We've actually got two on the same day, two of our great peeps, uh, Jeffrey and Miranda, who I'll be conducting that wedding. And then 30 minutes later, going to beam us up to Kalamunda. We've got uh, Jordan and Jess getting married up there. A bit of a scheduling conflict. Anyway. And then date TBC. Um, Ooh, wow, big year. Three weddings, three elections, far out. No wonder I'm tired. Good job. Hey, great. So give them money and congratulations and a lot of love. Oh, listen, uh, so look, first time guests, let us, let us catch you up. Or those of you that have been trekking around our great nation of Australia, let me catch you up. We're talking about a guy named Jonah. Now, Jonah lived near Jerusalem in uh, the same place as Jerusalem is today. And uh, he was part of a group of people, a nation of people called the Israelites. And the Israelites at that time were, were God's chosen people. They were God's special people. And uh, they actually had some enemies. They had a, a, a nation of people called the Assyrians. And uh, the Assyrians were, 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 were these barbaric uh, race of people who, who liked to conquer like to pillage, like to reap absolute devastation and destruction everywhere they went. And uh, God didn't like that. One of the, the victims was the Israelites. Often the Assyrians would come down and would actually cause devastation and destruction for them. So God shoulder tapped a guy named Jonah, just this guy from sort of obscurity, and said to Jonah, hey, Jonah, I want you to actually go and visit your mortal enemies, the Assyrians, and tell them what they're doing is not good. The way they're living is not good. They need to turn from their evil ways and turn back to me. That was the instructions God gave to Jonah. Now, a little bit of a sort of geographical context uh, here, Google Maps. This is Israel. This is Jerusalem. Jonah was here. This is Assyria. The capital of Assyria is a place called Nineveh. That's where God said to Jonah to go, go to Nineveh, to the capital, and tell the Assyrians what they're doing is not good, to turn from their evil ways and turn back to me. Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, he got on a boat and went in completely the opposite direction, a boat bound for a place called Tarshish, which effectively was at the end of the known world. Jonah, the writer of the story, said that Jonah ran as far away from God as he could get. And we put up this little model, and this model is a super helpful model for all of life, that when God calls us to do something, we stand at the top of the pyramid of choice. God calls us to do something. We have a point of decision where we either say yes to God and obey him, or we say no to God and disobey him. The problem with saying no to God is that God actually wants us to get here, Nineveh, we say no, over the course of time, we drift further and further and further away by saying no to God and saying we'd prefer to go to Tarshish. Effectively, what we're saying is we actually want to remain in control. We prefer to be God than to trust God. And that's the big takeaway from this. So Jonah's on this boat, bound for Tarshish, trying to get as far away from God as he could get. God 
wanted to intervene. He still wanted his mission accomplished. He had a, a job that he wanted done, which was for somebody to tell the Assyrians in Nineveh to turn away from their evil ways and turn back to God. And so Jonah's on this boat. God caused a great storm. Jonah kind of confessed to the, the people that, that ran the boat that the storm, it's been caused by God and it's being caused by God because of me and my disobedience. So if you want the storm to stop, throw me overboard. So they thought that was a great idea. They threw him overboard. Storm immediately stopped. Jonah's in the water. Along came a big fish. God sent a big fish, swallowed Jonah up, and Jonah stayed inside that fish for three days. And while he was in that fish, he prayed and cried out to God, which is a good strategy, by the way. And the end of this prayer, the end of this crying out to God, you know, Jonah, he, he, he confessed. He said, God, yep, I've disobeyed you. I've absolutely, you asked me to do this, and I said no, and I went ahead and did this instead. Instead of going to Nineveh, I was going to Tarshish. He confessed. And uh, one thing that's important for us to take note of right at this part of the story is that confession, see, there's two concepts at work here, confession and repentance. They're kind of churchy words, okay? But you'll understand this in an everyday concept. Confession is saying to somebody that you've done something wrong. Okay, if you're a child, it's saying to mom and dad, mom, dad, I've done something wrong. Here's my confession. Here's what I've done. I know it's wrong. Please forgive me. That's the purpose of confession. And it's a very important uh, step. But it's only one of two steps. See, because confession alone isn't enough. Confession alone, and by the way, parents, you know this. If ever your child has confessed to you and then turn around and continue doing the same thing, it drives you crazy, right? And, 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 and I bet it's even caused you to question whether little Johnny was even sorry in the first place. Because, buddy, if you were so sorry, why did you just turn around and start doing it all over again? Well, here's why. It's because confession and repentance are two separate concepts. And actually, too often, we stop short with just confessing. And then we go back and continue on with the wrong behavior that we were doing in the first place. But repentance is a churchy word. Repentance simply means to turn around and move in the other direction. So here we have Jonah, who's just confessed that he's, to God that he's disobeyed him. And he said to God, I will make good on what you asked me to do. And so we pick up the story now. Did Jonah just confess and not repent? Or did he repent? So right now, this part of the story, the fish, for whatever reason, after three days, has just vomited Jonah up on the shore. Okay, so there's Jonah, covered in fish vomit, lying on the shore, having just confessed. And next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Now, don't miss this. This might be just something you, you, you gloss over. Oh, I want to get to the story. This is even here an important part of the story. This very fact that God spoke to Jonah, the disobedient guy, a second time reveals something of the nature of God. God is a God of the second chance. Some of you, that's going to be the most important thing you hear all year. 
that God is a God of the second chance. Some of you don't even feel like you deserve God's forgiveness. None of us deserve God's forgiveness. It's not about us and what we deserve. It's about God and his very nature and his character. God is a God of the second chance. And you know what? My conviction and my motivation for teaching on this topic of Jonah is some of you, this actual study of of Jonah and the conversations we're having around it, this is actually God's intervention in your life. There's something that you've done that's disobeyed God. There's some area that you've said no to God in. And he's using this story of a guy named Jonah to actually turn you around. And we made this statement in the beginning of this, of this conversation. God often stages an intervention to get our attention so we'll change our direction. And some of you, God is going to give you a second chance. You've took the pyramid of choice. You said no. You said, I want to be God instead of trust God. And you've been walking towards Tarshish. God is going to give you a second chance. But it's going to require confession and it's going to require repentance. But the motivation is we serve and follow a God who's a God of the second chance. That's got to be good news for some of you this morning. Up on your feet, God said, and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. There is a lot of exclamation marks, and there's a lot of hints of exclamation marks in this very directive. God's giving Jonah a second chance, but he's saying there's an urgency about this. I sent you on the mission in the first place. There's been time passed since then. To now, they needed the message even more than they need it when I first asked you to go. So I'm asking you again with a sense of urgency. And right back at the start of this conversation, I made the point that, that maturity, or what we often call spiritual maturity, which, which that's another topic for another time, is often measured by how long someone's been a Christian or how long someone's gone to church. And that is the wrong measure. In fact, it's not the measure of very much at all. The best measure of someone's spiritual maturity is what Erwin McManus calls lag time. That as we mature, as we grow in faith and trust and a willingness to obey God because we trust him and we'll do what he says, the lag time between what he asks us to do and us saying yes should truncate. Over the course of time, that our lag time, the question that God asks us and us saying yes should get shorter and shorter and shorter. That's a sign of someone growing. If the lag time remains constant over the years in someone's life, they're not growing in faith and obedience at all. Because God, when he asks us to do something, he wants us to say yes. And he wants us to say yes right then and right there. Because delayed obedience is also disobedience. Parents, you know this. Johnny, take out the trash. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it after. No, I want you to take it out now, Johnny. Oh, no. Look, I'll do it tomorrow. Johnny, I'll ask you to do it now, and I want you to do it now. Delayed obedience is actually disobedience. So we, Jonah, he, 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 he may be about to get around to it. Well, no, he's already disobeyed. Delayed obedience is disobedience. God wants us to truncate the lag time and actually live with what I call an obedience posture. That we're always willing to say the words to God, because you said so, I will. That's our answer to everything God asks us to do if we're living with an obedience posture. God, 
I don't understand it. However, because you said so, I will. God, it's not comfortable. However, because you said so, I will. God, it's not a convenient time for me right now. However, because you said so, I will. That's living with an obedience posture. Right now, that's my question to you. Is there any area or areas where you've said no to God? This is an opportunity to confess to repent, to turn around and to say, okay, God, if, you're gonna, if, you, if, if you want to give me a second chance, then because you said so, second time around, I will. You know, I remember years ago, uh, some of you know the story, but Louis and I, and my wife Louisa and I, when, when we first got married, we actually worked full time, both of us, uh, at our church at the time. And we worked full time, 40, 50 hours a week each for no pay. We did it as a, we lived by faith. And uh, we did that for two years and just trusted God to supply our needs. And that's something he f- we felt him call us to do. It's not something he calls everybody to do. But we did. We lived by faith, no uh, fixed income for two years and the early part of our marriage. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of spare cash lying around. In fact, we never had spare cash lying around. You know, if Louis left 10 cents on the table, I'd steal it. Um, and... Uh, <clears throat> And I remember during that period of time, during that two-year period, um, one of the other staff who was a paid staff member, uh, I felt God asked me to give him $200. And uh, with no explanation of why. You know, like God didn't say he's got some you know, medical bills due, give him $200. God just, just, just nudged me and said, Mark, give him $200. And like... I can't even say, oh, you know, $200 was a lot of money at the time. It was a week's wage. We, we didn't have any wage. You know, $200 could have very likely have been our year's wage if that's all God provided. I don't, but here's the thing. I didn't understand it. It wasn't convenient. I didn't just have 200 bucks, you know, lying around in a, you know, rainy day account. We, hadn't, we didn't have a bank account, more or less. You know, we did, but it was never any money in it in that time. Uh, so I said to God, no, I'm not going to give him $200. And uh, I thought that was the end of the, of, the, of the conversation. You know, I'd engaged God in an arm wrestle and uh, I'd won. <laughs> Impressive. Well, I, I just could not shake that, that, that instruction. And uh, 18 months later, my lag time of 18 months where I still, we still were living by faith, working full time for no pay. I somehow scrounged $200 together and I put it in a little envelope and I walked up to this guy 18 months after God had asked me to do it. But thankfully God gave me a second chance to obey and I obeyed and I gave him the money. He didn't want to take it because he knew that, that he had more money than we did. You know, you, Generosity is not just about giving to, to the need. Generosity is about being generous and responding to, to what God asks us to do. So my confession is, thankfully, I got around to it, but I had an 18-month lag time, so I ain't bragging. But maybe there's something that God has asked you to do in the past, and right here, right now, he's giving you a second chance, but it has a sense of urgency attached to it. And he would say to you, do it and do it now. Well, this time... Thank goodness, 
Jonah started off straight for Nineveh, obeying God's orders to the letter. Now, now just understand, the writer doesn't make any mention of whether Jonah was any more excited about this than he was in the first place, which was like not excited. But it seems that whatever the peripheral circumstances at the core of Jonah's heart and his life, he'd actually shifted to an obedience posture. Second time round, but he got there. God, because you said so, I will. Now, Nineveh was a big city, very big actually. It took three days to walk across it. That's a big city. And Jonah entered the city and went one day's walk and preached. Now, a couple of things just to really drill down on here. That word entered, it, it has a sort of a, a blend of, of, of meanings to it. As much as it means to go into, it also means to, to, to leave something behind, to actually cut something loose, to actually let go of something. So to untie yourself from the thing that was holding you back. And so Jonah, for whatever the, the reasons he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place, he actually had to untie himself from them, leave them behind in order to enter into the city, in order to obey God, in order to do God's will. And, and, and that may be the key for you in this area For those of you that you know, there's something that you've said no to God in. There's some area of disobedience. It's actually something you need to let go. There's something. It's not there's an obstacle in front of you. There's actually something behind you, something that's been so familiar, something that you don't want to let go of. And God says, enter into doing what I've asked you to do. But to enter, you've actually got to untie yourself. You've actually got to leave something behind. Some of you, the biggest barrier, the biggest thing you've got to leave behind is you've got to leave behind caring less about what other people think about your actions. Your biggest fear is that some people will call you a fanatic if you do some of the, take some of the steps of faith that God calls you to do. You think when we worked full time for no pay for two years, there was a lot of people that didn't understand the decision we made. There was a lot of people that thought we were a little bit fanatical. Well, the word fanatic comes from the same word worshipper. So I'm pretty happy to be called a fanatic, actually. It means I'm an extreme worshipper. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's the thing you've got to leave behind. Be more interested in what God thinks of you than what other people think of you. Maybe there's something in your financial world that God's calling you to move into, to enter, but you actually have to untie yourself from something. Often it's 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 a desire to be in control. Some people don't want to do what God calls them to do financially because they want to be in control. You know, I learned a long time ago, that is a really daft way to live. God actually offers, he volunteers for the role of being the senior partner in Mark and Louis Incorporated. And he says, you know, it's a partnership, Mark and Louis. We're not wiping you out of the equation here. You're a part of this. But, but I'm actually willing, all right, God, the creator of the universe, the one that knows everything, the all-powerful, I'm actually willing to play the role of the senior partner in Mark and Louisa Incorporated, if you're interested. It's a partnership. But, 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 but you guys, it does mean you get relegated to being the junior partner. But when Mark and Louis Incorporated flourishes, everyone wins. And I think, heck of an idea, God. Sign it over. God's now the senior partner of Mark and Louis Incorporated. 
And we try our best to make our financial decisions following his lead, following his instructions. But some of you, you're the senior partner of your financial world incorporated and you haven't yet let go of that and signed things over to God and made him the senior partner because you fear loss of control. Now, take a screenshot right now, okay, about Jonah. God's called Jonah to go into a, a country, into the capital of that country, his people's mortal enemies, known to be so barbaric when they invaded other uh, parts of the world that, that, that if, you know, if, uh, if a town heard that the, the Ninevites were coming after them, they would actually commit mass suicide because killing yourself was less torturous and less painful than what the Ninevites were known to do to you. So here's Jonah going unarmed into Nineveh. And not just going into there, because by the way, just going into there would have been a suicide mission, knowing the reputation of the, of the Ninevites and the hatred towards the Israelites. But actually to go into there on this suicide mission and to stand in the middle of the, of the, of the big city and uh, tell them all that what they're doing is wrong, how they're living is wrong, God's not happy with them, and they need to turn around. How many would want to be Jonah at this moment in history. Doesn't sound like the top shelf assignment, does it? Doesn't sound like a very comfortable assignment, does it? But here's the takeaway, even at this point of the story. Don't ever misinterpret being out of your comfort zone with being out of God's will. I bet some of you can look back on your life and you can remember times when you've been out of your comfort zone and you've actually thought that that means you're out of God's will. And that's been the very reason you've disobeyed him. Well, going forward, don't ever make that mistake again if you've made it in the past. Don't ever misinterpret being out of your comfort zone with being out. Jonah was out of his comfort zone about as far as you could get at this point in time, but right in the bang in the epicenter of God's will at that moment in time. So, there's Jonah. <laughs> oh, God's a funny guy sometimes, isn't he? And this is what Jonah said on God's behalf. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. Shorter than the Gettysburg Address. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Eight Confronting words. Suicide mission. But this was God staging an intervention. And I'm going to put that pyramid of choice up again, but let me just unpack it a little bit. You see, this is actually something we don't do once. This is an ongoing thing. This, this, this model represents something that happens to us again and again and again every single time that God stages an intervention. So in Jonah's life, Jonah got down here some way to Tarshish and God staged an intervention. Well, actually, right at that point in time, Jonah commenced a new point of decision. Now the Ninevites, God staged the intervention, they're at a point of decision. 40 more days, 
and Nineveh will be overturned. God was staging an intervention and they had a choice to make of whether they were going to obey or disobey. One of the mistakes that we can make too often is is when somebody who loves us says something confronting to us, we get offended instead of listening to the motivation behind it. And so we actually stiff arm them. And by stiff arming them, we actually deflect the very thing that could actually cause us to turn around and embark on a better path. And what I've, what I've observed is the longer the situation has been going on and or the more serious the consequences the more confronting the intervention needs to be. Because we've gotten used to doing things in a certain way over a certain period of time, or, or, or we've, we've chosen to ignore or just live with the consequences. But in those situations, the intervention needs to be corollary with the seriousness of the circumstances. It needs to be very confronting. You think about it. You decide you're going to take your family this afternoon, take your little kids down to the park and, and have a little bit of a picnic. And so you put out the blanket and, you know, dad's got his camp chair there and, and uh, you're playing and, and, and there's, there's sort of um, copper logs, pine logs around the park. And you say to little Johnny, little Susie, hey, Johnny, hey, Susie, you can play all across this park all afternoon. But see those logs? I don't want you to go outside of those logs because outside of those logs, there's a, there's a road there. It's a busy road. If you go across the road, you could get hit by a car. You could get killed. But stay inside the logs. Stay within the boundaries and you've got complete freedom. Which, by the way, when God puts boundaries up, it's not to limit us. It's to give us freedom. Fences bring freedom. And I'll talk about that another day, another time. But little Johnny, little Susie have 100% total freedom to do anything they want within that park while you sit there and do what you do with, with your little picnic blanket and so on. 20 minutes go by and Johnny's voice is getting a little faint. And you think, well, I wonder where, where Johnny is. You can't see him. Where is he? And, and you look off in the distance and Johnny's just decided to, to steeplechase over the little pine log at the edge of the, of the park. And Johnny has set one foot, two feet, walking across this busy street. And you can see there's a truck coming down the road there. And Johnny hasn't noticed it. And so he's, just, he's, he's decided he's just going to start playing on the middle of the street. It's not a far-fetched uh, story. You guys that have parents, you know, this, you, you, this is very plausible. What would you do? You don't have to put your hands up, but those of, your parents, those of you who are parents, would you do nothing? Would you sit there and just keep putting the pate on the crackers? You know? Would you do nothing? Would you cheer Johnny on? Good walking, Johnny. Love the way you're walking across that road. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, bounce the ball. Great. Man, I love the way you're standing in the middle of that street, bouncing that ball with that truck coming. It's Johnny, oh, so proud of you, mate. You would do absolutely everything within your God-given strength to get to intervene and get Johnny off that road, wouldn't you? Why? Why? Because you love him. Yet we get upset sometimes when God stages an intervention in our lives. 
But let me ask you the question. If you're off track, if, if, you're, if you're moving <laughs> this way when God wants you to move that way, would you want God just to sit on his picnic blanket and spreading the pate and the crackers? Or, or, or would you want him to do absolutely everything he could to intervene to cause you to get back on track? Which, which would you prefer? Which sort of God would you want to follow? A passive God who actually couldn't care less whether you live or die, whether you get hit by the truck, or a God that's intimately concerned about your future, your destiny, your purpose? Who votes for the first type of God? Who votes for the second type of God? Well, the good news is the second type of God is the one that sits on the throne. And he's the one that we can follow. But we still have the choice. Are we going to obey or disobey when God stages this intervention? Now, this word overturned. Nineveh. Jonah had proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. This word overturned has a, has, has a double meaning. It actually means destroyed. Which that, you, know, you read that, you, you get that's what it means, right? These buffheads. God sends Jonah in there and says, hey, listen, guys, 40 more days, your city's going to be destroyed, overturned. But actually the word can also mean transformed. And, and, and it brings out this, this duality, that, that, that Nineveh's response at that point of decision is going to actually determine for them whether they will face God's forgiveness or God's judgment. Choice is theirs. God's preference is always to forgive. But if we keep on ignoring him, there's going to be some judgment. Change is coming either way to Nineveh. Change comes either way to our lives. Either way, change is coming. God gives us the choice. When he intervenes, do you want to be judged or forgiven? Do you want to be transformed or destroyed? And here's the truth. And some of you need to throw this up on your social media. God wasn't mad at them. God was mad about them. The reason God sent Jonah to them wasn't to tell him that he was mad at them. It was to remind them that he was mad about them. However, the God who is mad about us, not mad at us, when we're doing the wrong thing, he still wants us to change. His best is forgiveness. His best is transformation. But when that doesn't happen, disobeying God comes with consequences. And we talked about that last week. You can listen to the podcast, catch yourself up. But God wasn't mad at them. He was mad about them. And you know what? We actually live every single day with neighbors at the house next to us, with people at our workplace in the cubicle next to us, with people sitting on the bus next to us, with people driving down the freeway next to us. There are people everywhere everywhere who are convinced that God's mad at them and have no idea whatsoever that God's actually mad about them. And you know why? It's because too many churches, the only time they speak to these people is to tell them what they're doing wrong and how God doesn't like them and what God's against. And we want to be people who spend more time telling them what God's for. God's for purpose. God's for life. 
God's for destiny, God's for freedom, God's for liberty, God's for breakthrough, God's for provision, God, God's for you rising above your circumstances, God's for you living a life with a sense of peace that passes all understanding. God's not mad at you, God's mad about you, but he still wants you to change some stuff. But you change in response to knowing that he's mad about you, not mad at you. Well, I'm happy to report that the people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. And they proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Next week, I'm going to dress in burlap, Stewie. Yeah, it's not good. That's, let me just say, if you haven't ever dressed in burlap, it's pretty itchy. Anyway. But they wanted to show their repentance. Again, they didn't just confess. They actually decided they were going to turn around to show their comp- repentance. Everyone did it. Itch and poor, I mean, rich and poor. Oh, some of you missed that one. Famous and obscure. Leaders and followers. When the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up of his throne. And by the way, this is unheard of for a king at the time. Got up on his, off his throne, threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and sat down in the dirt. And then he issued a public proclamation throughout Nineveh, authorized by him and his leaders. Not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, or animal, including your herds and flocks. Dress them all, both people and animals, in burlap and send up a cry for help to God, everyone must turn around, turn back from an evil life and the violent ways that stain their hands. Who knows? Maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us to quit being angry with us and let us live. You know, there's a couple of takeaways from just this last, and this isn't the crescendo of the story yet either, by the way. I want you to be here next week, bring someone. The story just keeps getting better. But right now, at this point in time, the king of Nineveh and the Ninevites, they were going to roll the dice. They were going to give God a chance. Maybe, maybe if we really show him how serious we are, maybe he'll spare us. You know, people that are half-hearted followers of Jesus aren't following him at all. You can't half-follow someone because they'll eventually walk off into the sunset. We've got to keep step with him. We've got to keep pace with him. These guys were serious. A couple of takeaways. First of all, you, know, you see what the king did? The king actually banned anyone. You know, we can, we, humans, we can survive for a period of time without food. Right? This is medically proven fact. 40 days, 50 days, 60 days. But we can't survive for any length of time without water. This is how serious the king was about getting God's forgiveness for him and his people. He actually banned them from having water and food until God either made them or broke them. Amazing. Influential people have influence. I know. It's an eyebrow razor right there, Stewie. Influential people have influence. And churches ignore them. Too many churches ignore them. We're too busy doing welfare alone, and there's a place for that, but too busy doing welfare alone, reaching to the bottom that we actually forget to influence at the top. And I say this often, people in Versace suits are going to hell as well. Unless they turn around and follow Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we are 
influencing the influences because the trickle-down effect of that, as you see with the king of Nineveh, is astounding. He could do, as an influencer, he could do what nobody else could do. So stay tuned about that. You're going to hear plenty more about that. But then what about us? What about us personally? See, in the first two chapters of this story of Jonah, I taught from the position that we are Jonah. That there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. There's a proclivity to disobey in all of us. There's a proclivity to flip the bird at God in all of us. There's a proclivity at the point of decision in all of us to, to go to Tarshish when God calls us to Nineveh. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Now I want to, you to actually put yourself in the seat of the Ninevites. Think of yourself in this context as being those, us, collectively, as being the Ninevites. Because what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us, what, what sort of things is God calling us, elevate church to? And you know, I think about this all the time. I think about you guys all the time. I think about what God's calling us to be and to do all the time. This consumes me. Elevate church consumes me and consumes me in a good way for all the right reasons. We measure our effectiveness. And I, I put this on Facebook last week. The church isn't called just to run laps. The church is called to advance God's kingdom. Too many churches are just running laps. Too many people are just running laps. God calls us to advance his kingdom. He doesn't actually have another plan. And, uh, and so we measure. Are we doing that? Because uh, if we're not doing that, this is just all a waste of everyone's time and money. We shut up shop. We sell it off. We give it to the good Sammies. And, and we go and sit in a coffee shop on a Sunday morning. So we, we, we measure our effectiveness in two key, two key things. We, we measure numbers. And we measure transformation. We measure numbers. Numbers are important because numbers, every one of you is a number. Now, you're not just a number, but you're a number. You're, you're, you represent somebody that is here, hearing God's word being preached. You represent somebody who at one time or maybe this morning has or will make a decision to follow Jesus. Every, every number matters. Every number is someone's dad, someone's mom, someone's daughter, someone's brother, someone's nephew, someone's cousin, someone's workmate. Every one of you is the, is the product of somebody's prayers, somebody's financial investment. Every one of you is created by God. So num- yeah, we count numbers, but we don't just count numbers. And the reason we just don't, don't just count numbers is, you know what? We're a church now, 100 people, give or take, we get to a church of 5,000. We get to a church of 10,000 people. You know what? That in and of itself may not mean we're being effective, being successful. Because you can have a big crowd and nobody actually following Jesus. People looking for entertainment. Oh, the music was really great this morning. Yeah, well, it's better than it being lame. But, but, but you know, that's not the goal. Good music's not the goal, it's a tool. Uh, preaching, yeah, not too bad. Seven out of ten. Glad he wasn't in burlap. Maybe give him half a point for that. You know, again, good preaching's better than boring preaching. I think that there should be permission for people in the front row at churches to sit with shotguns, fully loaded, and if the preaching gets boring, just let it go. Yeah, I mean, I do think there should be capital punishment associated with boring preaching of God's word. I really do. And, uh, but, 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 but good preaching, effective preaching. You know, we're not here for entertainment and we're not here for infotainment. We're here to point you to Jesus who will bring about transformation. 
And that's, what we, that's the other measure. We want, a num- we want people. We want lots of people hearing God's word every single week. We want lots of people in Elevate groups continuing the conversation. We want lots of people going from here. If you think about this as the locker room, going from here out onto the field during the week into their workplaces, family, and actually applying God's word. Of course we do. Lots of people. Lots of people. Lots of people. But we're not going to brag about that if it's people that aren't doing those things. If it's just coming here, going to church, and going home. In fact, one Christian leader coined the expression Christian atheists. (laughs) That there's people in churches all around the world, and and I'm saying this because I don't want us to ever, any one of us to ever be guilty of being a Christian atheist. Christian atheist is people that go to church, quote unquote, and they'll go through the hour, hour 10, grab a coffee, and then leave. And then the next six and a half days of that week, they'll live as if God didn't even exist. They'll live in such a way that God doesn't allow God to make any difference in their lives. I don't, God, I don't want you to interfere with my decisions. I don't want you to tell me what I can and can't do. I don't want to surrender any control to you. Love you, Jesus, but I'm not going to make you my Lord. And guys, if we ever, if we ever, if we ever become that sort of people, ever, if we, I mean, no kidding, if we ever become those sort of people, you'll turn up one Sunday and there'll be a for sale sign on this building. And I'll go back to, I don't know, whatever I do when I'm not leading a church. And you guys can go and have coffee, but you have to pay for it. <laughs> Are you with me on that? Would you ever want to be that sort of church? A church of Christian atheists? And so these are decisions we have to make every single time God asks us to do something. We stand at the point of decision. Do we want to be a Christian atheist and disobey him or do we want to obey? And only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. Because on the surface, a Christian atheist sitting here looks exactly the same as the passionate follower of Jesus. Only you can measure that. But you know what? (laughs) So can God. And... uh, We're talking about Jonah. We're looking at his life to learn lessons to apply to our life. And uh, obedience is the big ticket item. The obedience posture. God, because you said so. Without qualification, because you said so, I will. Hey, you know, one more thing, and I mentioned it just a moment ago, we want to do. Some of you maybe have never made the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe this is a whole new idea. Maybe you've never been to a church before, or actually maybe you've been to a church before. Maybe you've even been coming here for a little period of time. That's not the measure that God's got for you as his gold standard. His gold standard is for you to actually follow him, for you to actually place your trust in him, for you to actually surrender control to him, to actually make him your Lord. It's kind of a funny word these days, but it basically means to give him, to put him in charge of everything. Some of you have never never done that. We're going to give you that opportunity right now to say, God, I want to make you my Lord. And all I want to do 
For those of you that need to make that decision right here, right now, in a moment, I just want you to put your hand up. You put your hand up, you're saying, God, that's me this morning. I want to make you my Lord. I need to make you my Lord. This is my time. And when I see a hand, you can put it down, and then we're just going to quickly pray. So right now, with the rest of us praying, for those of you that have never made that decision, and you know this morning that's the decision you need to make. That's the next step you need to take to make Jesus your Lord, to give him control, to ask for his forgiveness. Just put your hand up. Say, that's me. Yep, God, that's me this morning. When I see a hand, you can put it down, and then we're going to pray. We don't want to miss anybody. This is the, actually the most important thing we do. Every time we come together, just quickly put your hand up. You say, God, that's me. I want to make you my Lord this morning. When I see your hand, you can put it down. Awesome. Who else? Great. Who else? We don't ever want to miss anybody. You could be the person that walks out on the street, metaphorically speaking. And you don't get this opportunity ever again. Don't let this slip. Don't let this moment pass. If that's you this morning, just slip your hand up real quick. Okay, we're going to pray. Two people put their hand up. Let's pray. Everybody say these words after me, especially those people who responded and put their hand up. Because this is, a, this is something from your heart to God this morning. Say these words after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your intervention. Thank you for giving me a second chance. Thank you for forgiving me. I commit to turn to you, to follow you, to give you control, to make you my Lord from today, all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How about we celebrate for those two people this morning? Brilliant. Well done. Listen, next week we're going to finish this conversation about, about Jonah. It's not just a kid's story. It's not a fiction story. There's plenty more that God wants to highlight, underline, impart into each one of us. So be here, bring somebody, and uh, let's be people who experience transformation. Hey, All right, on a slightly less important note, this week's coffee is Tiger Something. Yeah, mystery tiger. We ground up a mystery tiger this morning and made it coffee. So enjoy. Plenty of first-time guests here. Make sure you make them feel welcome.